You're listening to the Light for Living podcast, featuring the sermons of Emmanuel Baptist Church in El Dorado, Arkansas, where Dr. Clark Whitney serves as senior pastor. Join us for verse-by-verse messages through the life-changing Word of God. Along the way, we'll also feature devotional thoughts, Bible studies, and interviews, all designed to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. On vacation. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we are going to be looking today at the question, how can a family develop a strong faith in God? In other words, how can faith be passed down from generation to generation? Because all the traditions and things that we enjoy telling our kids about and all those fun pieces of wisdom, they're great. But nothing is quite as great, even close to the faith that we pass down to the next generation. So the message today is for dads. It's appropriate to speak this way on Father's Day. But it's also for mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers. And perhaps you wanted to be a dad and you never could. God has put a sphere of influence in your life. Whether it's a Sunday school class or a young person that you disciple and mentor. Whether you are a biological dad or a spiritual dad or anywhere in between. The principles from this passage today will help your life. And say you're a young person. Well, you'll blink and one day you'll be a parent. Uh, And and these principles can help you develop a strong faith as you grow into the young man or young lady that God wants you to be. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses, the one who God used to deliver his people out of Egypt, is giving his farewell address. It lasts a long time in the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy 6, Moses summarizes the whole law of how the Israelites were supposed to live as God's people. Now, we are not Israelites. We are not bound by the law. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. But the passage we read today is the summary of the whole law. It's called the Shema. In Hebrew, it's the word listen is what it means. And it simply means this, to love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your might and your strength. Jesus repeated this command in Matthew 22. So if Jesus repeated it, it's got to be important. And Moses tells the Israelites how they can lead their children to love God. So this is the time where Moses is telling the people what to remember and how to pass it down. They were going into a land that they did not know. There would be influences that would try to uh, persuade them to leave God. There would be all kinds of pressures for the children and the grandchildren to not follow God. And God gave them a clear pattern about how the faith was supposed to be passed down. We'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll go to verse 9. If you got it, say got it. The Word of God says, This is the command, the statutes and ordinances, the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, so that you may follow them in the land you are about to enter and possess. Do this so that you may fear the Lord, your God, all the days of your life, by keeping all his statutes and commands I am giving you. Listen to the generations, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so that you may prosper and multiply greatly because the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Pause right there. These verses talk about Israel as a nation and how they would be strong. In the verses to follow, Moses talks about how the family would be strong. A country cannot be strong unless its families are strong. 
And, and there's nothing new under the sun. The enemy of your soul, Satan, wants to steal and kill and destroy. And he wants to distract and divide you and to discourage you in your mind. And he wants to do the same thing in your family. And all across our country, we see confusion today. And the enemy at work, he wants to steal and kill and destroy. A lot of times, folks don't even realize that the enemy's having a heyday in their family. And it's been the enemy's tactic even from the beginning. And we'll see the enemy's plan for your family, but also the Lord's plan for your family. And I want to read a little quote from the Communist Manifesto. Because you don't think this is going on in our world today. This is what Karl Marx wrote. Uh, just satanic. Listen to this. Abolition of the family. Even the most radical flare-up at this infamous proposal of the communist. But you say we destroy the most hallowed of relations when we replace home education by social. A government can never step into the role between a parent and a child. If a government's done that, then it's overstepped its bounds. There's a place for education. I thank God for public educators, my wife and uh, sister-in-law and mother and aunt, all public educators. I'm not saying anything about that. But I'm saying that your primary responsibility is to train your children up. And nobody, not a TV or, or internet or a government, can take that place. All right, I'll step off my soapbox. Verse 4, talking about the family. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Let's pray this morning. Lord, you're good to us. God, so often we fail. I fail as parents and grandparents. God, God, I pray that this would not be a message today of, of condemnation, but one of encouragement. God, that we would take seriously the, the command that you've given us to pass the faith to the next generation. God, we would take the next step by your spirit. Uh, God, that we would be encouraged by your word today to live the truth. I pray that you would increase, that I would decrease. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when I was a teenager, there was a country song that came on the radio by Rodney Atkins. Anybody ever heard of him? And you may remember the song. It's called Watching You. And it's a great song. It talks about a father and his little boy and all the things that the little boy does seeing the father. And he sees the father say a word that he shouldn't say. And then he actually he sees the father on his knees praying. And I just want to read the chorus to the song because it's so good. He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. And we got cowboy boots and camo pants. We're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. Whether we realize it or not, our children are watching. And God gives us a, a clear picture of how we're supposed to live as parents. I want to begin today by telling you about Faith in a family. Faith in a family is founded on pure doctrine. The foundation for building a faith that lasts, that goes even beyond your life, is the pure doctrine found in the Word of God. The pure, pure teaching that God has given. Not to mix it up or, or to divide it up or to highlight one part at the expense of another, 
but to teach your children and grandchildren all the commands of God and all the story of Jesus and the whole counsel. Uh, in verse 4, Moses said, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This goes back to the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. They were supposed to love God above all else, not to, to be divided in their affection and devotion. They were going in to a land where there were other gods and other people who worshipped other gods. There were idols. There was pantheism, the belief that everything is God. An actor, Rain Wilson, who played Dwight on The Office, he recently said he's on a spiritual quest. I hope he finds Jesus. He said there's a spark of the divine in all of us. This would be pantheism, that everything's God. Well, if everything's God, then nothing's God. There's polytheism, the, the many gods. They would go into a land that there would be many idols that they would worship and bow down to. And it's still the same today. Even though we don't have golden calves, we still worship many different things in our hearts. And Moses says the foundation of your family is to love the Lord your God and to hear that he is one. Not just in what you believe, but actually how you live. And your motives and your affections are actually lived out in the way you spend your week from Monday to Saturday. Uh, you can come to church and that's wonderful, but the real test of what you believe is who you worship throughout the week. And so he told them to be founded upon the pure doctrine of the word of God. Secondly, in verse 5, he tells them to be fueled by passionate devotion. Fueled by passionate devotion. The truth is, is that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. We worship him. But the truth is set on fire when we do what verse 5 says. And the word of God says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all, all your soul, and with all your strength. Now in the Hebrew mind, the word heart is not simil uh, the same as what we think of as the heart today. We talk about heart as the emotions and our, our affections. And it definitely included that, but in the Hebrew mind, the heart included every part of a person. The whole body, the mind, everything about you, the totality of who you are. The Bible says that that's what you're supposed to love God like, with everything from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. Every moment you spend with your family and the things you choose to invest your time and your finances in, the things that you value and the way that you speak, the way that you treat others, all are supposed to be motivated by a passionate love for God. Jesus is worth getting excited about. And your child can tell what you get excited about. I know because I know how, how into football some of your children are. And I love sports and I, I love different activities and hobbies. And, and my son, he's really into books because I'm into books. He's been watching me. But our children can see how we get excited and should not we get excited about Jesus? Should not we get excited about the love that he has for us? And because we have been loved by him, we can love other people. That's what the Bible says is that we love because he first loved us. The Bible also says that, that on our own without Jesus, we have a heart of stone. The Bible says that we need to love God with all our heart. So if we have a heart of stone and we're supposed to love him with all our heart, we need him to do a heart surgery on us. We need him to give us a heart of flesh, a heart that would love him and serve him. And it says your soul, this is the eternal, spiritual, invisible part of you. The most valuable thing that you have is what will live on for eternity, your soul. And also your strength, all of your energy and ability. Everything about your family is to love God. Not just in lips, but in deed. 
Look in verse 6. These words I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. You're supposed to hide these words in your heart. To know that your love for God and your passion for Him and your stand on God's Word and the pure doctrine you have, you're supposed to bury it deep in your heart and in your life. And it be so, so uh, a part of your family, just so central to what you do, that your children know about it. That they can see that in your life. Third thing, and this is where I want to camp out a little bit this morning, is that faith in a family is not just founded on pure doctrine or fueled by passionate devotion. It is fostered, it is built by practical discipline. Built by practical discipline. This is how you cultivate and foster a faith that lasts. This is how you practically do what the previous verses have said. Now, discipline, when I say that, I'm not talking about getting a whooping, okay? I'm talking about training that corrects, that, that molds the moral character or pattern of behavior. That's how Webster defines this kind of discipline. A way that you would, would form something in your life. As you raise these children and grandchildren up, you are cultivating things in them. And they can be things that please God, and they can be things that don't please Him. And this is how you create things that please God. Now, before we continue on, I want to just make crystal clear the importance of the home. Church is so important. Having your children in church is so important. Did you know that studies have shown if a father comes to church, uh, the child is two-thirds to three-fourths likely to go to church as an adult? If just the mother, and we thank God for our godly mothers, just the mother takes the child to church and not the father, it's like a 1 in 50 chance that the child will stay in church. That's promise keepers and lifeway research. So, so mothers are definitely important, but fathers are very important too. Uh, we need to be taking our children to church. They need to see us not just coming to church, but worshiping and ascribing value to the Bible study and the worship and, and all the things that we do. But there is no substitute for the faith that is formed in your home. You spend way more time at home than you do at church. You spend way more time in the car to and from school or to and from ball practice or going to see your grandkids or wherever you go. You spend more time there than you do here. And it's the moments there, the everyday moments of life, where faith is really formed. The number one predictor of a child having faith as an adult is the faith of the parent. Not a pastor, not a Sunday school teacher. Your faith and the level of your faith will determine the faith of your children. Now some of you have prodigals, and you've done all you can, and I say to you today, don't give up, keep praying, keep loving, keep pointing them to Jesus. At some point, it's their own responsibility before God. But you have a divine responsibility, if you have a child under your roof, to point them to Jesus. I love to grill steaks, if you haven't figured that out yet. Uh, my wallet doesn't always love to grill steaks, but my stomach does. That's what I'll be doing tonight if you want to come over. And, and I love to go to steak houses. I like to try different kinds of steak that people have. Before we moved here, we lived a couple of minutes away from a Longhorn Steakhouse. And in the move, all of our kitchen stuff was packed up, and we got into a, a, a bad habit of going to Longhorn more than we should have. And I love going to steakhouses, and I love taking my son, and he enjoys eating steak. We cut up the little pieces for him. But there's no substitute for my son eating one of my steaks. That brings me more joy when I see him get excited about what I put on the table. 
And I can't wait for him to grow a little bit bigger so he can go through the ritual with me of getting the charcoal in the, in the chimney and lighting it up and waiting for it and putting it on there and getting it hot and seasoning the steaks and all the things, the process and the person determine the value. Bringing your child to church is wonderful. Listening to podcasts and seeing other Christians and listening to other preachers, that's great. But there's no substitute for the faith that you have transferring down to your children. There's no substitute for it. Truth is transmitted by relationship. You must have a heart relationship with your child. They won't know uh, how much they should care about faith until they know how much you love them. Sometimes that means tough love, but, but they need to know that you love them. You need to have an actual relationship with them because if you don't have relationship, truth without relationship leads to abandonment. And so this is the pattern all throughout God's Word. If you read your Bible, you'll see one generation giving it to another over and over and over. Just for example, one, Psalm 145, verse 4. One generation will commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That was God's pattern from the beginning. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. He was a spiritual father. Don't know if Paul had any children, but he had a spiritual child, Timothy. And this is what he said, Timothy, in Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, 5. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. Paul says, I look at your mom and your grandmother and I see their faith. And he says, and now I'm convinced it's in you also. Timothy was raised up by his mother and his godly grandmother. 2 Timothy 2, 2. This is what Paul told Timothy. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One generation to another. This is how you do it. First of all, it's continual. It's continual. It begins in the home. It's repeated. Look in verse 7. The Bible says, repeat them to your children. It's a habit. As we go through life, we are not really conscious of all the things that we do that are habits. We don't even think about sometimes brushing our teeth and getting up and making coffee and all the things we do. It's a habit. The things that you repeat and the rhythms of your family life will foster faith or a lack thereof in your children. That's why Moses said, repeat them to your children. Don't just tell them one time and think that you've done your duty. But be repeating it and going over it and make it a habit that you would point them to a love for God and God's love for them. It needs to be something that is, that is continual, habitual. I have a little routine with my son and so many times I fail. It's a very humbling experience to be a dad. I'm in need of grace. I, Aaron sang this morning, so I brought the kids to church, and I lost half of my religion just getting here. And so I didn't really feel much like a preacher or a Christian when I walked in this morning. But, you know, I need to have these rhythms whether I feel like it or not. My son's rhythm, he calls it his, our lucky night. His mom and I alternate. And it's my lucky night if I get to tuck him in. So we read books, and we read two or three, and then he always bargains for a few more. And then I tell him stories about when I was a kid, and then we sing a song, and then we get down and pray. So many times I'm ready just to go in the living room and lay on the couch a little bit, to be by myself. And he'll catch on. He'll know if I'm trying to shortcut something. Maybe I'll take out a song or take out a book or just hurry through the prayer. He knows because it's a habit. Now, I could tell you many more times I've gotten it wrong. But you need to have a routine with your children and grandchildren, wherever you go, that you would point them to the Lord. It needs to also be normal. Look at the back half of verse 7. 
Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The Word of God was supposed to be the center of the home. There was supposed to be just the center focus of everything in the family, the Word of God. It's still the same today. Uh, how much we love sports and entertainment and we love going on vacations and having fun. We love our jobs and our children's educations. But the most important thing in our family should be the Word of God. To be a relationship with Jesus. Something that we talk about when we sit down and when we walk along the road on, on a road trip. When we lie down and when we get up. Wherever we go, it's something that we talk about. We talk about Jesus. And if you're so captivated by Him and if you have love for Him because He first loved you. And you're spending time in your Word. Uh, there's, you can't help but the Word of God but coming out in your life. Don't make it weird or awkward, but when you spend time with Jesus, you're going to want to tell your kids what you learned. It needs to be something that is normal. Lastly, it needs to be something that is visual. It needs to be something that is visual. Look in verse 8. Moses said, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Verse 9, write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Now the Jews had a little box that they called a phylactery that they would literally put a box on their head and wrap a band around it. I think we have a photo. You can see that they, they took this commandment literally. They didn't always take it to heart. Uh, they put it on their hand, and, and they put it on their forehead, and they tried to follow the letter of the law, but not necessarily the Spirit. And in fact, they still do that today. In fact, the, the, the Jews today recite the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, uh, recite it twice a day. So this whole thing, uh, this passage is very important to their faith. It should be important to our faith. Now, you shouldn't walk around wearing a box on your head, and you shouldn't bind up your arms, but there should be visual reminders in your life and in the life of your family that open up spiritual conversations, that remind you to open up God's Word. Uh, we have a few in our home. My parents and Aaron's grandfolks had this. It says, Our Daily Bread. We got it at Dayspring. You may have one, but it's filled with little verses from the good old King James. And we leave it on our, our table when we eat. And we'll pick one up and we'll talk about it and we'll read it. And then Baylor will get it down and throw these all over the floor. But it's a way that, that during a dinner we talk about the Word of God. We have this little book I got this week. It's Experiencing God at Home Day by Day. Just short little devotions that you can read with your family. Don't think that you have to be Billy Graham right away. Sometimes you need to take small steps to create those habits. Sometimes you'll fail and you'll forget. You just get right back up and keep on going. But you need visual things, whether it's, it's a verse on your dashboard or on your mirror when you brush your teeth, a reminder to talk about the Lord, to talk about faith and to pass it along, to have a visual reminder of who God is and what He has done and what He expects from your family. And so it's my prayer for, for my home no matter how crazy the world gets, no matter how many pressures and influences come on my kids, that I would be the one and my wife would be the one that points them to Jesus. There's no substitute. Nobody else can do my job for me. It is my responsibility before God. It is also my prayer that, that our church would take this seriously, that, that our faith would be something that we live out all throughout the week. It'll be something we pass on to the next generation. A great strength of Emmanuel Baptist Church is we have many generations. But we need the faith to be passed down. It's how God intended it. Roy Hessian, in his book, The Calvary Road, he talks about revival in the home. It's very poignant. 
Revival begins in the home. It was into the home that sin first came. It is in the home that we sin more than perhaps anywhere else. Amen? And it is to the home that revival first needs to come. Revival is desperately needed in the church and in the country and in the world. But a revived church with unrevived homes would be sheer hypocrisy. It is the hardest place, the most costly, but the most necessary to begin. If our homes start getting on fire for Jesus, founded on pure doctrine, fueled by passionate devotion, fostered by practical discipline, revival will come to our church and revival will come to our nation. And we will reach the ends of the earth for Christ. But it all begins in the family. I want to finish by reading a poem today. Bill Gaither wrote one. It goes something like this. I may never be as clever as my neighbor down the street. I may never be as wealthy as some other men I meet. I may never have the glory that some other men have had, but I've got to be successful as this little fellow's dad. It's the one job that I dream of. It's the task I think of most. If I fail that little boy, I have nothing else to boast. For though wealth and fame I'd gather, all my future would be sad. If I fail to be successful as that little fellow's dad. I may never have earth's glory. I may never gather gold. Men may count me as a failure when my business life is told. But if he gives his life to Jesus, then I will be so glad. For I'll know I've been successful as this little fellow's dad. You bow your heads this morning as the band comes up. Perhaps this morning you want to take your family and you want to come before the Lord and say, I want a faith that can be passed down to my children and grandchildren. I want a legacy that outlasts me. God, would you show me what that looks like? Maybe you have a child that you want to pray for this morning. Maybe you don't have children, but you want to pray, God, would you put a young person in my life that I can mentor, that I can disciple as a spiritual son or daughter? Maybe this morning you never realized the love that Jesus has for you. You cannot love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength unless you know that Jesus has loved you first. That while you were still a sinner, separated from God, Jesus died for you, for your sin. On Calvary, he was the perfect son of God. And all the sin of the world was put on Jesus. And he bore our sins so that we could receive his righteousness. Thank you for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with a friend. We hope you'll tune back in next time to the Light for Living podcast.